Good evening. Romans 8, please. Romans 8. All right. We are continuing this, uh, the theme from this morning and looking at another passage of how we learn to consider the things that God allows into our lives and how we look at those as God does and view those. In about uh, five minutes, let's see, hmm, Wesley and Bryson, okay, I'm going to need your help. You're going to be my easel, okay, so not for long, I mean, you know, after, hopefully it won't be long, it won't be over 45 minutes or so, how's that? All right, good. All right, so Romans 8, let's bow, ask God's help in understanding His Word. Gracious God, we thank You that we can come to You, that we can... um, call upon you to, to help us in our time of need, of understanding of your great word. So be with us this evening. Lord, may we see things as you see them. May we have the eye of faith and trusting you. And may we see that your hand is in all uh, that we do. And Lord, may we see that you are a great God and a great, great provider of us. And may we trust you. Christ, in my pray. Amen. Romans 8, verse 12. Romans 8, verse 12. Uh, The preceding verses are here. Paul is highlighting various aspects of what we have in Christ. So I'm going to pick up the reading in the middle of the chapter. And uh, Paul is giving admonition. So verse 12, So then, brethren, we are under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. We are not slaves to our own flesh. For if if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you are not receiving the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. I'll pause there for a second, because Paul is setting up who we are in Christ, what it is that we have because of Christ. And we see there um, that we are called heirs. Okay, verse 17, if we're children of God, then we're heirs, heirs of God. Okay, so there is a, in this relationship with Jesus Christ, as he as we enter into the family of God, there is something new here. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are alive unto God, and we have, we have position in Christ. And he makes that contrast in 12 and 13, that if you're living according to the flesh, if that's the mark of your life, and you're not of God, if that is well, and First John says this also, as the Apostle John writes, he said, if you are constantly sinning, Okay? If that is the, the bent of your life, that's just who you are, and that's, you need to examine yourself. You probably aren't a follower of God. You've never received salvation. The, the one who has been regenerated, the heart has been changed, will feel, uh, feel conviction and will at some point confess. And God will continue bringing things into life that says uh, you need to confess. You need to, to come back and follow so he's setting this up, and notice how in 15 he calls Abba Father, this, this a term of endearment of a, of a father, of a dad. He said, we, because 
we have been given the spirit of adoption. Because we have now been taken from the family of sin and placed in the family of God, the beautiful part of that is now we are, we are heirs of God and we can call Him Daddy, as it were. And so this is the context in there. But then Paul says something about if children, verse 17, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, so that we may also be glorified with Him. This evening, I want to talk about something that, um, that occurs in many parts of the world, but yet in most of our Western cultures, not so much, but the aspect of persecution, imprisonment, and even death. And if we were continuing from this morning, point number three would prioritize God over persecution, imprisonment, and death for His name. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, Paul continues in verse 18, which will be our main text for the evening. He said, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. I consider, I reckon, and, and really this phrase is it's even stronger than, than saying, hey, would you consider this? It's, it's I, the Apostle Paul, the ambassador of Christ, Man, this is what I consider. Okay? So I'm reckoning this, and so he carries a bit of weight. And he talks about the present suffering. And he identifies the suffering of the present age. So I, I need my, my easels up here. Okay, Come one, come all. Come both of you. Yes, yes, both of you. Uh-huh, uh-huh, yep. All right. So, and now, as he's writing, there's not a particular... Doing a fine job already. Um, in the context of what Paul is writing, there's not a particular moment of suffering that he is currently enduring that would be something that is notable. Okay, You're going to be my man for suffering. Hold on to this. Okay. All right. So, but, but what would be present suffering? Okay. What did Paul experience on, in times that would be considered suffering? Now, see, the problem is... Yeah, oh, yeah. It's like... <laughs> Good brace. There you go. That's a karate stance. Uh, okay, this is suffering. Yeah, you're going to smell the marker. Sorry. All right. Okay, I, I can't hear those. What would be considered suffering in Paul's time that he endured? Imprisonment. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Huh? No, only one S. Wesley, come on. Prison. Everybody seeing you well? Okay. Because what else? Stoning. Mm-hmm. That wasn't too good. All right, what else? Something not quite so violent. What else? Hunger. hunger. Did he hunger? You don't know? <laughs> I, I'm sure he did. I don't remember that. I'm sure he did hunger. We all hunger. What else? Shipwrecked. Pardon? Shipwrecked. Shipwrecked. Yeah. I want to put this right next to a stoning because that's kind of like the same thing. Hope, let me go. Oh, there we go. Um, because that's pretty bad. Because uh, I would figure that's pretty traumatic. Did people talk bad about him? Oh, uh, Caitlin? Sought after to be killed. And I'm going to put that one right here too because that's pretty big. Okay, what else? What about in Galatians 5 when he's... Uh, has a bit of argument. You okay over here? Okay, good. Bryce is still okay. 
You run out of town? You run out of town. Yeah, okay. Oh, boy, Paul. Um, let's see. Yeah, run out of town. He had people argue with him. Uh, so verbal, let's put it, persecution. Okay? Who persecuted him verbally and, and everything else here? <laughs> Jews. A lot of times it was the Jews. Okay, uh, anything else? Death. Yeah, rejection. Okay. That's, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. Okay. I know you can't read that, can you? <laughs> Paul Wong's on you. <sighs> can I put it with prison? Okay. All right. Philippians 4.12. Thank you. All right. So, you got that? Okay. Mm-hmm. It's sticky. No, oh, okay. It's like, all right. It is sticky. You can turn around and put it on your back. No, we won't do it. Okay. You're doing good so far. And you've only begun to, to serve here. All right. But what about the glory that is to be revealed to us? What's Paul talking about there? Heaven. Okay, we'll say glory. Heaven. Yeah, I wasn't penmanship. What else? Hmm? Crowns. Crowns? Rewards? Is that? What are other aspects of heaven that are blessings? Seeing God's promises. I'm going to run out of room, aren't I? Okay, God's... Okay. Yeah, right. Um, what else? Well, pardon? New body. Yeah, that works. Mm-hmm. What else? What is particularly great about heaven? You'll be singing. Now, Jimmy? No, come on now. Singing. Singing tunefully. <laughs> Being with Christ. Being with Christ. So, um, an eternity with Jesus. So the presence of Jesus is probably key. That's the most, most important. So he says... For I consider the sufferings, oh, come on now, the sufferings of this present time are not to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed with us. And what we just, we made a mistake, didn't we? Because we compared them, didn't we? Did we not just compare? Okay, come here. You can tear it in half. He's been wanting to do that. There you go. For I consider the sufferings of this present time, ball it up. There you go. You guys can sit down. Good job. Thank you. Not quite so forcefully. Oh, thank you. He said, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. 
But what do we always do? These are the things that we knew more of what happened. And it took us a minute, okay, heavenly, heaven, body, being with Christ forever. And this is what Paul is saying. We look at our present suffering, and we look at everything that is there, and we forget that what God has done for us, because we are heirs with God, grace has been poured out on us. Christ is present with us now and will be for eternity, but then we will see him face to face, and we have that because we know there's a heavenly hope that awaits us, and there is no comparison. There is no comparison. Paul tells us that, but we forget that, don't we? We want to compare. See, as we prioritize God over even suffering, over persecution, over hunger, over all these things, we have in mind the knowledge that Jesus has purchased us and He will, and He is currently preparing a place for us in heaven. John 14. I'm going to be away for you. And if I go, I'll go and prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. Now that, this is a theme throughout Paul, that there is no comparison to what's going on. Turn to 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. 2 Corinthians 4. This is not the only time. Romans is not the only time he makes this assessment of his life and of what God has done. 2 Corinthians 4, 17. It says, therefore... Because of verse 13, the spirit of faith, um, because knowing that he who raised Jesus will raise us also with, to be with Jesus, will pre- present us to him. Therefore, because of that, because of the grace that is given to us and the grace that is spreading more and more, in verse 15, therefore, 16, we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Therefore, we do not lose heart. We may be being persecuted on the outside. And while this is not something that we, you and I may have to face currently, this is something that across the world, people are being persecuted for just the simple thing of believing in Christ. And Paul understood that. Paul lived this. He says, so we don't lose heart. Our inner man is being renewed day by day. Look at verse 17. For momentary light affliction is producing for us the internal weight of glory beyond all compare. Momentary, Paul. Really? Light affliction? Oh, from where you came from, but some of those things we wrote up there doesn't seem like light affliction, does it? Those are hard things. Those are things that we would say these are not light. These aren't momentary. These, these things last, well, I'm dead. It's permanent. Or I am maimed or bruised. Or... And Paul says, for a momentary light affliction, Paul had an eternal view of what was going on, how he lived. Now remember, Paul was the one who persecuted those 
for the name for the name of Yahweh. Those who believed in Jesus, he persecuted them. He would put them in prison. He stood by and held the coats of those who stoned to Stephen. And then God did a miraculous thing to him, coming and appearing to him on the road to Damascus. And he was gloriously saved. And so Paul knew what affliction was. Because all the things that he had done to those who had, who had followed Christ before his conversion, those things began to be done to him. He lost freedom. Eventually, death. He says, that's a momentary thing. That's a little thing. In, in, in the scope of history, that's small. It's light affliction. Because it is producing for us an eternal weight of glory. Now, this work that's being done, this light affliction, is producing something within us and for us. The eternal weight of glory. And that is, again, just like Romans 8 was, beyond comparison. No. Suffering? I'm not going to, there's nothing, no comparison to what awaits us. To what we presently have in Christ. There is no comparison. So Paul understood. But the problem is we often don't have the lens of eternity in view. Right? We don't put on the glasses that say, that read the Scripture and read our lives as the scope of God's eternity. We, we only see here and now. That's part of our humanness. We're really concerned with the next meal because Paul was hungry. <laughs> We're concerned with the next town that he was going to be run out of. We are concerned with, oh, the, the harsh words that someone may say to us because they see us praying over a meal. Or whatever else. But Paul says, there's something much bigger and greater. In fact, there's not even comparison. It's difficult to see. Verse 18. While we look, uh, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things that which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And so you have Paul. Again, from 17 to 18, driving home the temporal, what is now, and the eternal, what will be, what will continue to be. See, it's interesting in the scope of what God has done. So beginning in the Old Testament, as He creates man, and man sins against Him. Okay? And then God provides a sacrifice for them and a way for them to, to have forgiveness of sin. And then as you fast forward to Moses, as Moses is given the law, because God has given the law to His chosen people, what God is doing there is saying, this is the, my standard. This is how I desire for you to live. Knowing that they could not live it and keep it perfectly, He provided a sin offering. But all of that was pointing to the day that when Jesus came, and when Jesus died upon the cross, that the sin offering that Jesus made was once and for all, as the writer of Hebrews tells us. And that once and for all 
sin offering was made for us, and now, by faith, God's grace comes, cleanses our heart, and sets us. And what He foreshadowed in the Old Testament, He has fulfilled in the New Testament, and we are the heirs of that, and we continue to live knowing that at one day, His promises, just as it was promised that He was born, that He would come, that He would die, that His promises are true. And so we look toward the eternal, eternity in view. Faith to see what God has done in the past, that He is sure in His promises in the future. One more passage of Scripture, because it's a familiar passage, but Philippians 1. Philippians 1, and we'll get a head start before we get to 20 and 21. But in Philippians, a very familiar passage, we see that um, Paul had a struggle. Verse 12 of Philippians 1 said, Now I want you to know that my circumstances have turned out to the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. And what Paul saw as the working of God, we would have said, that's a terrible tragedy, I'm in prison. Paul said, no, this is working out for the greater cause of the gospel. God has given me an inroads of the gospel in the, the Roman courts and palaces and, and inner workings I would never have had on the outside. So he has this. In verse 14, the most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. So the brothers in Christ saw him in prison, Paul in prison, and so they were encouraged to speak without fear. So he continues there. Um, um, verse 19. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectations and hope, that I will not be put to shame in anything, but with that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. What an eternal perspective that Paul has here. doesn't matter if I live or die. My desire, and because of my willingness to place myself in God's hands, it will turn out that God is exalted. Christ is exalted by my life, whether I'm dead or whether I'm alive. Verse 21, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I'm to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. I do not know which to choose, because, but I am hard-pressed from both directions, having a desire to part to be with Christ, for that is much better, very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you. He said, yeah, it would be great to be with Christ in His presence. That would be wonderful, but it's more necessary that I'm here. It is necessary that I am with you. And he said, I mean, because of that, because of my understanding and acknowledgement of that, I will, I will continue to, to pour my life into yours. I will remain and continue for your progress and join the faith. 27, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. 
For to you has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here to be in me. Wow. Say, well, you think that's just for Paul? No, he's writing to a church that would experience this in Rome. He's not, verse 29 is very poignant to us. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. And so that is why that a believer who follows Christ, who grows, will prioritize God, yes, over stuff and possessions, yes, in the time in which we which we live out our lives, but also will prioritize God as number one is first in spite of and the comparisons we love to make, in spite of suffering for His sake, in spite of being afflicted for His sake. And we will consider it light and momentary affliction, not, not hardship, because in the economy of God's time, it will be a brief time. It will be with Christ. So we prioritize. But we are so often tempted to run to run from the affliction, to run from the suffering, to run from that because that's just too much. I really don't like things difficult, Paul. That's really not too much fun. Paul didn't say it was fun. Paul said it had a purpose, and that purpose was to exalt Christ. So prioritizing our lives, prioritizing everything that we have and are and am, a growing and mature Christian, counts Jesus as much more wonderful, beautiful, and worthy of sacrifice, even persecution, than anything else. I'm reminded of the place in the Gospel where Jesus said, what does a prophet a man? He gained the whole world, but lose his own soul. For the believer, we have gained Christ. And we've been, it's been to us privileged to be able to believe in Him and to trust in Him and to be His child, to be heirs of Christ. To be royalty with Christ. And with that, though, we've also been granted, if it is God's will, to be able to suffer with Christ also. It's a foreign concept to us, to our time. But if our priority is God, if our priority is glorifying Christ, and by our suffering, for His sake, someone comes to believe in Christ also, we get to see the work of Christ being used in our lives for His glory. A growing believer will prioritize God over everything. His time, His money, His possessions, and even, even his own self, whether it be for persecution or not, God is everything. I want to encourage you. God may or may not call you to suffer as people alive today are suffering. But he does call you to live, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. His righteousness. 
Everything else that we need, he will provide. Let's bow in prayer. Gracious God, I thank you for who you are, the power of your word. I thank you that you have given us the privilege of being your children. And by grace, through faith, we have come to know Jesus, to whom to know a right is life eternal. I thank you, O God, that you have given us promises and you have kept your word. How you've fulfilled promises in the Old Testament that came to pass. We know that you will continue to answer and fulfill your promises. And that you are preparing a place for us in heaven. But you have given to us a mission here on earth that is so important. Thank you, Jesus, that you allow us to be your ministers, your ambassadors, your servants on earth to serve others as we serve you. Thank you, God, that we have each been given talents and gifts, the opportunities around us, and may we use those talents and gifts in those opportunities to glorify you. Father, may we have an eternal look. May we take the long view of what you are doing. May we, through the eye of faith, see that the one who places faith in Jesus will come to not even compare the trials of life to the glory that will be revealed in heaven because of Jesus. May we be challenged in our hearts this evening, this week. May we pray for those who are indeed experiencing persecution across our world. May we, as is written in the New Testament, we pray for them and uphold them, seek to minister to them. And Father, if and when it is our time, may we undergo whatever persecution or suffering with great joy, knowing he's been granted to us to suffer for Jesus who gave himself for us. May your name be glorified. In Christ's name I pray, amen.